Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 43rd episode of Learn From Gaming Podcast. I want to open up by stating that for the immediate future, the format of the show is going to be changing into an interview format. Right now, Stu is very busy getting his master's of video game studies degree, and I've discovered that I really like talking to people about games and just trying to draw out some of those stories of their experiences with them. So for the next phase of Learn From Gaming, I, Chase, will be doing interviews with many different people, as many as I can, um, trying to get deep into the specifics of their favorite games, seeing what they learn from them, and just getting some of those great memories out there onto the internet so that we can talk about and create, I guess, sort of a discourse about this medium that we all enjoy and most of us grew up with. So for the first time ever on the show, I'm going to be asking something of the audience. I'm going to ask you to participate if you're willing. If you're this many episodes in, then by now you've probably started to think about how your favorite games have impacted you over time and some of the things that you've learned from them. If you have a story in there, something that you would really, really like to share and something that you're comfortable being out there on the internet, just reach out to me. Uh, Email me at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com because I want to keep interviewing people and getting more of these stories out there. But I'm running out of friends locally that want to do this with me. I've done a number of these offline, but uh, there's also one with Fred Rojas and now this interview with Revan. Um, A condition I'd like to put forward is try to be considerate about your audio hookups and try to be ready for uh, Discord for recording because that's how we'll be recording most of this. If you don't understand what any of that means, that's fine. Just send me an email. We can work through it. But that brings us to this episode, number 43, in which I interview my friend Revan. This intro, it's being added after the fact. We've already recorded. And I'll warn folks that there are some audio issues. But overall, both Revan and I had a really good time talking. And we just really enjoyed ourselves through this process. So please take some time to listen and learn about Revan's experiences. And now let's get into it. All right. I would like to welcome Revan to the show. Revan, I met you through the Booksmarts Discord, which might be a deep pull for a few people, but is actually one of my favorite discords to hang out and talk about media, just media as a whole. So games, TV, anime, which is where you and I, I think, really hit it off. But that's how I met you. But I, I wanted to take an opportunity to invite you on to learn from gaming, which is my podcast, to just sort of pick your brain on some, well, you, how can I say this? You have an interesting taste in games. Um, so I'm interested to know what some of your favorite gaming experiences are. Also the German experience. I, I wouldn't mind getting to the core of that as well, if it's possible, but I, I recognize we only have an hour. How would you like to start by just giving the audience a bit of information about yourself, whatever you're comfortable talking about? Okay, um, so I'm Revan. I'm from Germany, uh, Bavaria to be specific. I don't mind talking about that. Um, I'm currently 30 years old, soon will be 31. Yeah, I grew up uh, pretty pretty much with gaming. Even my older sister played on, uh, I think, Atari, where Mm -hmm. she played uh, on N64, I'm not quite sure, where she played uh, Metroid. It's a story she always told us about which is really fun to me uh, for me to remember. 
a big thing in our, uh, my, me and my brother's childhood, because we were pretty close in age. Um, we always uh, lent games from a nearby video store that yeah. had a lot of um, where you could lend consoles and uh, whatever video games you wanted. They had a lot of good selection. That was always fun for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a really convenient way to play, um, try out a lot of different games. Yeah. I think what's kind of unique to Germany, I guess, from my youth, is that a lot of games were cen censored or weren't available at all. Oh. While, in while in Austria, that is pretty close to my country, uh, from to my district to be specific, I could just cross over and get a lot of games that were, were, weren't available for me. Like Dead Island was a specific example I remember. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. So that's interesting. Um, can you give an example of specific types of censorship? Um, so like, for example, that I uh, remember very vividly, um, Wolfenstein, the game was very censored. Mm -hmm. I think uh, in the PlayStation store, for example, I couldn't get the game in English dub. So I had mm. to play the German dub, mm -hmm. which I'm not a huge fan of personally. I think that's super weird. Yeah. Um, I've if I remember correctly, a lot of the image, imagery is also censored in game, uh, specifically the swastika and stuff. Right. And of course, very violent stuff is um, is always a the, a dicey topic, especially like ten years ago, a lot of games were especially censored, as that's, I mentioned that okay, Dead so, Island, for example. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's interesting, right? So in in North America, we had similar experiences. I grew up in the so so like the Super Nintendo era because uh, I'm 40. Mm -hmm. I'll be 41 next year, uh, so I got about a decade on you. Uh, that's yeah. not bragging. You don't want to be 40 years older, or you don't want to be 10 years older than you already are. <laughs> but, uh, but that's how I feel now. Yeah, but uh, there was I don't know, like just some of the stuff that got censored was so surprising when you think about what the actual content of some of these games were anyway. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there were just some games that didn't come out in North America at all. Um, or there were games that were so censored, they were very different from what they were originally. Mm -hmm. um, but also, it's it's an interesting aspect to think about the censoring of a dub. Or um, yeah. just excluding... Because uh, we'll get into it, uh, but both you and I both really like um, Super Robot Wars, which is a, yes. a turn-based strategy for anybody who doesn't know, but it's like a mecha mesh of a bunch of different uh, different mecha shows franchises but the, yeah it's a bunch of different franchises but for the longest time the struggle to get an english subtitled version of those games was next to impossible until my understanding was uh ban bandai or ban presto broke mm -hmm. into the chinese market and the chinese market basically encouraged um english translation or at least English language availability. Is that accurate mm -hmm. or not? I'm not super sure. Okay. I just know from my personal experience with also importing these games mm -hmm. that they are very popular, uh, not just in China, but Southeast Asia in general. So yes. like okay. um, Philippine, Philippine uh, countries and all that. Yeah. That's my personal experience. And from what I know is that um, the big localization stuff for Super Robot was started with um, V, X, and T, and yeah. then we got 30, which is, of course, very nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I already, I 
dove a little bit into this, but would you mind talking a little bit more? Um, just explain to the audience what your gaming preferences are right now, because I recognize you don't just play Super Robot Wars exclusively. So do you want to just mm-hmm. give everybody an idea of sort of what you play now or have been playing? Um, yeah, so I have been playing um, Border Skate a lot. I'm personally a lot into RPGs. Those mm-hmm. are uh, among my favorite game, uh, game genre ever. I, I'm sure we will talk about uh, more specifics later. Sure. But I just really like uh, building a character, building a specific archetype, and then trying to mix in different stuff and all that. I, uh, I enjoy playing with stats in games. That's also why I enjoy Super Robot Wars, right. for example, too. Uh, yeah, this year I got into the um, Trace Off series. Kiseki, game, uh, Kiseki, it's called in Japanese, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a really big, um franchise i've got um, i've gotten into touch with it through some youtube videos that mm. recommended it really well i've started with trace of zero and azure really good games i highly recommend them and now i'm into uh, trace of cold steel too yeah okay yeah so i on recommendation i picked up trails of the sky and then mm-hmm. trails of zero and i i got trails of cold steel one on sale for like four bucks. Um, so I have yeah. them lined up. I'm ready. I just haven't moved forward with them yet. So I'm excited because that's super cool to hear. What I find fascinating about Trace of Zero for me specifically, that it really helped me um, regain my love for JRPG. I felt like it was one of the more well-crafted JRPGs that I've played recently. Okay. And all the lore videos, I saw, or story videos I saw of Sky um, give me similar vibes. I think like uh, Trace of Cold Steel is also very good, mm-hmm. but it, it's I, it doesn't have quite the art style I, I like. It has the 3D style um, and no more 2D perspective and no more hand-drawn portraits so, so much, and I don't like that quite as much. Right, and if I recall, there's at least one new later entry, so it's like at the end of the all of the different story arcs. I just, I forget what it's called. It's like Trails of, it's not Azure, because I think Trace Azure. Into Re- Sorry, Trace into Reverie. Yes. Trace into Reverie. That's where they all, um, that's where Trace from Zero and Azure, and then all the Trace of Cold Steel games connect with each other, also yeah. of course Sky. And then they culminate into Trace into Reverie. Right. Th- and that so, kind of concludes these stories. And so what's wild? Because let's say the audience is just completely clueless. They don't know what Trails is at all. Um, the mm-hmm. selling point for Trails, and this is really important to nail home, is one long, consistent story. It's a narrative that f- flows through every single one of the episodes. Every single, Every single entry in that series is a part of the story. Um, and like the level of management and detail from a narrative perspective to get that right. I don't know how to understate how much work that would actually take. I think it might be hit and miss depending on the entry, how well it gets handled. But again, I haven't played them. Uh, so I'm not going to talk anymore about it, but just to think about it, like that's a story that I would love to work through. I read novels all the time, right? I le- read series of novels all the time. Why wouldn't I want to experience that in a video game form so yeah. few even try to do it right and like the interesting part about the trace games in specific uh, in specific is like it's all about one big country and then mm-hmm. the country is divided into sub countries and those um are 
in which the specific games take place. So Sky has a sub-country, Call of Duty has a sub-country, and Zero also has a mini sub-country. And that's kind of how the story flows together and how they interact with each other, which is really a really cool concept for them. Yeah. Okay. I feel like. Well, here, you know what? Let's, um, we are, we're starting to, we're starting to scratch on gaming anyway. So how about, would you be so kind as to just run us through maybe one or two of your favorite gaming memories? So it could be video games. It could be board games. could be card games. Well, if you just, if you can think of a time, like a specific time, it was like your favorite memory, um, with gaming and just describe it to us. I think it sounds maybe kind of weird, but like I always remember fondly how I came uh, came to get to know uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. It's mm-hmm. very obvious once you hear the story, but like for me, uh, it's it's my username online, but it's also kind of uh, a thing that really um, formed me in a sense. I think I remember vividly how played the story, made choices in the game, which is a big part of it, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and also learned that the choices, the bad choices, um, can be useful to get, gain power or to execute a more a bigger goal for me to, uh, to for my character to RP into getting a good uh, role play into getting a good uh, end game. So getting a good outcome mm-hmm. and using bad means for that. That's how I always remember it for myself. And and I really like that. Like uh, that's why I also used the name Revan of the main character of the story mm-hmm. now, because it, to me it symbolizes that you can use dubious means to get good outcomes, which is kind of a, a basic concept. Uh, I think in order eight, but um, and of course morally questionable. But to me as a kid, it really formed uh, formed my sense of morality and um, my perspective on stories in general. Okay, so you're starting to get into into some of it. Actually, what I'd like to, um, to to maybe just drill down into this a little bit. You said you were a kid. Can you remember approximately like what year you were playing this and how old you might have been? But also, was it both games or just the one? Um, for me, it was the first one that mm-hmm. really did that for me. But I also really liked the second one. And I, we played both quite a lot. Okay. So I was around... Uh, I think twelve to fourteen ish, right. and yep. I played it with my little, uh, with my younger brother on the lap. We were both pretty young, of course, in my mm-hmm. teens. Mm-hmm. We played in our uh, bedroom together, uh, and one uh, controlled the play- player. And I usually am more of a strate- strategic mind, so I give the more observed environment and instruction about to do to gain the best battle outcome and stuff. And then in the story, you have to make decisions on how to interact with the world and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then come the bad decisions to gain power, as I mentioned. Um, I don't remember quite specifically which decisions there were, but for me, it was always a cool power fantasy to go down the um, dark Sith path and gain the dark side of the Force powers to become more powerful in combat. And right. so I, uh, I thought about which decisions I want to take to gain those powers that wouldn't be too evil. That's always something that I found fun to think about which decisions I'm okay with doing to gain these powers. 
That's one example I remember. So this is really interesting because number one, you've already established this was a social thing for you. It wasn't just you. It was it was you and your younger uh, your younger sibling. You were working through it together. You would collaborate together, and I think that that is really cool. That's a lot of how I experienced gaming when I was a child too. For me, just to draw a parallel, for me it was uh, it was Final Fantasy games. So Final Fantasy four and Final Fantasy six on the Super Nintendo. My brother, my father, and I we would all play them together. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. we we'd hand off the controller, but making decisions, choosing which direction to go, figuring out how to tackle a, a harder um, adversary, making that a communal or a social thing, is such a different experience when playing a game. Not to say that there's uh, there's a diminished experience when you play by yourself. It's just a different thing. Um, and mm -hmm. so then exactly the formation of memories also like I'm just like this is lightning in a bottle moment I'm thinking about for you, right? Because you're you're at the developmental stage in your life. You're mm -hmm. being approached with a game that's trying to teach you the nuances of morality. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And you're, and you're working through it with your younger brother. That is so cool. Can you think of like some examples where maybe you and your brother were at, at odds for a decision in what to make, or uh, were you always just sort of agreeing? Because I feel like any mm. game, especially when it's it's played in that that fashion, um, sometimes conflict arrives. I remember. Don't remember that stuff specifically. Okay. More like. Um, which planets to visit, which planets or worlds to visit first in the game. Okay, those, those sure. were always a f that we kind of disagreed on sometimes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's just, it, I find it so interesting. I really like that you were, you were describing how you would approach each thing tactically. That is, it takes time and effort to, to s develop that sort of vocabulary like I, I refer to it as like a gaming vocabulary as a kid like to learn those mechanics of a turn-based mm, strategy do you feel like you took were you already equipped for it going into um knights of the old republic or was this something you had to learn while you were playing it i think knights of the RP, or knights of the RP special case for me because mm -hmm. when i replayed it recently i realized is plays out like a D and D game. It oh. uses dice roll mechanic. Mm. It uses AC, so armor class, um, to calculate the hit chance and stuff. It uses wisdom saving throws for special effects and similar mechanics. And I didn't realize that, that as a kid at all. And I just looked at the straight numbers, at the straight stats of the weapons and stuff, at the armor pieces, what they would do at improving powers and stuff like that. And right. all that stuff I realized when I replayed it and had my personal experiences with D&D later on, which I had around 25 or something. Okay. Yeah. So it's quite a late, later time. That is, see, that's so interesting to, to realize as well. So mm -hmm. I played, I played D&D when I was, when I was about 12 years old. And so then I also got spoiled because the first Baldur's Gate came out um, around when I was that age as well. So it, it was easier for me to see that sort of stuff in other turn-based games moving forward. But I can completely appreciate, like, it sounds like a very cool discovery to go back and realize, oh, this is built on this. And that's the legacy of it. Yes. Yeah. It's really cool because, like, I didn't realize that at all. And 
once I could engage more and take more of my time to read it and see the similarities. And now I'm playing board skate and and I have more users also too, which mm-hmm. uh, like I think like 15 years ago wasn't the case at all. Now I cannot just go to a wiki, look up what does armor class mean. And- yeah. Hmm. D- just, just sort of out of curiosity, did you use um, much of a guide? Did you like go to game facts or um, did you just play through the game and experience it? As a kid, I didn't use guides at all. Great. I think that I started when I was like 18, 19, maybe 17. But then mm-hmm. the internet became more of a thing and easily accessible. But when I was 12 or 13, didn't have my internet access and um, didn't have a convenient access to it too. Like it wasn't a thing that we just used like nowadays. <laughs> and I didn't have a smartphone at, at my So yeah. I didn't rely on guides or don't let the game do it. Gotcha. Yeah. The world has changed. <laughs> The mm-hmm. world has changed a lot. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to think. There's so much that you can take. Uh, how was your reading comprehension at that? It must have been pretty decent by that point. Um, did you ever have any, any struggle reading? No, not at all. Um, I, I, I was a really big um, reader. As My mom started reading to me early on from Harry Potter books. I think that was around the age of six or right. seven, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I picked up myself really quick. My mom always likes to tell the story of I was able to read the McDonald's sign on the driving highway. And I was always uh, jumping and joy and uh, recognized that as a kid. And then I started reading myself a lot of books. Specifically, I remember very vividly go, uh, around the age of 12, going one to the job of dark fantasy and stuff like that, and asking the damn boyfriend of my sister, who also was a big reader for these books, and to lend them out and read them, which were a lot of dark fantasy. Nice. Um, just, uh, just out of curiosity, what kind of dark fantasy, if you don't mind talking about it? Um, sure, no problem. So in uh, Germany, one of my favorite he wrote a big series about dwarves. Really good stuff, in my opinion. I highly recommend it. It's okay. also available in English. Big big book series about dwarves. Uh, dwarves. Um, and by dark fantasy, I mean it has mentions of sex, it has romance, it has depictions of war, uh, battles and stuff. And it also de- describes um, the battles in some detail. But it, I think it's still somewhat tasteful and never goes into too much detail. Okay. Could you give that name yeah. again, sorry? So the author is Marcus Heitz. Thank you. I could also spell it for you if you need it. Oh no, that's okay. Uh, just just cool. you got me started. Yeah. All I need is Marcus Heights and then dwarves. <laughs> yeah. Can, yeah. That's the big series and I also like his vampire stuff or stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm just I'm trying to think. So what what I find interesting, so number one, um you took what was usually kind of a, you know, sort of like a private experience, which is playing um, any kind of RPG. And it was social for you. Uh, what mm-hmm. was interesting is you were able to collaborate. You shared, you traded. I really, really like that. 
Um, did you find there were any fights that you had to come back to uh, that you lost a lot? And do you, do you uh, ever remember overcoming that? I remember um, once we got to the the planet where you started to become more familiar with your force powers, because that's a whole process in the game. Access to the force, to the more advanced ones, and being able to read a lightsaber. I think there were some specific planets that we struggled quite a bit. I think specifically because we didn't understand the more D&D systems, like um, detecting traps and um, disarming them. Yep. I think we, we could do the basics of it, but we had issues with using the items specifically for disarming them. And then there were quite a hard battles there too, with some force users, I remember. I think they also had Viper Blades and stuff. Yep. And we had to retry them a lot. Yeah, but I don't remember us using much different builds or stuff like that. Just we went with the basic stuff like Viper Blades and okay. having a bl- Blaster Companion. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting, right? Because with D&D mechanics... There is a learning curve that goes with it, of course, um, especially I, like I'm just I'm thinking about playing the first Baldur's Gate in the way that they rolled out traps. You had to turn on trap detecting sense. And if you didn't have it on, you just hit the trap and that was it. But if you did yeah. have it on, there was a percentage chance that you would find it. And then if you found it, then you had a percentage chance to disarm it. But you had to set you had to basically change the cursor over to disarm and then do all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's. It's, it's not so, easy. To, it's not easy to understand at first. No, I no. think like border skates games in general, yeah. even the new one. And yeah, it's funny because this kind of falls into it, right? Like it's all the same sort of shit, isn't it? I'm just trying to remember. Is it the same company? Didn't the the folks who did Boulder's Gate went on to do Knights of the Old Republic? Mm, I'm not quite sure, but it's very popular. They also okay. did Neverwinter Night, Ooh, also yes. one of the big summers. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Hello, everybody. I just wanted to jump in here quick and just make a comment about BioWare, which is the company that made both Baldur's Gate and Knights of the Old Republic. Let's just do a quick breakdown quick so that everybody understands. All right. I I usually wouldn't do this, but it's important to communicate the history of the organization. So BioWare, very famous RPG uh, developer, designer. So... They released Baldur's Gate in 1998, followed up by Baldur's Gate 2 in 2000. Then they make Neverwinter Nights in 2002. Uh, Keep in mind, these are rough estimates. And then release Knights of the Old Republic in 2003. They would go on to make other games like Knights of the Old Republic 2, Jade Empire, Mass Effect, uh, Dragon Age Origins. They would get acquired by EA in 2008. But yeah, that is just a quick rundown of BioWare, the company that made both Baldur's Gate and Knights of the Old Republic. Okay. All right. Well, here, I just, I want to check time just quick. Okay. Well, we do have some time. Is, is there anything else you want to say about Knights of the Old Republic? Or would you like to move on to, to, to talking about any other favorite gaming experiences? I think I would rather talk about more different games. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, we probably got room for at least one more. Cool. So now I'm older, and like most stuff, I've recently, not so recently, but one of my current still favorite games, at least top five, is Neo 2. 
it's um i really like to f i like saw strikes i like uh, gear stuff because i really played a lot of borderlands games when i was a teen really a lot i played borderlands 2 like 200 hours at least um and so i like gear system they are really cool especially when they're mixed with um having your own skills build builds and stuff so that really worked together and i also like the Sengoku or Ryan States period of Japan yeah. um, with all the different states that fight each other and have strategic battles and have different and it's really cool legend so that depicted a Neo cool and then I saw Neo 2 and Neo 2 we find the first game so much more and introduced a lot of systems that really enhance the experience yeah so I have been I've been waiting very patiently for near two to come to Xbox. I don't think it ever will. I, I just, <laughs> I want it to, because I, I prefer to play on console right now. My I'm, we're using my gaming computer to record, but uh, that's about the extent of, uh, of its, its usefulness at this point. Um, mm -hmm. But I would love to, I've actually been playing a little bit of, I think it's Wu Long, which is not, oh, yeah. not quite the same thing, but yeah, I look over at near and I'm just like near and near too. And I'm like, I want to play that so bad. Um, yeah. But yeah. So how about we dig in a little bit to that? Uh, so you said you really like, um, you like gear systems and being able, because I, I understand what you're saying, right? Like as somebody who has played Diablo a lot where gear is so very important um, right now, I'm playing, Oh gosh, what's the game? Uh, it's a it's a piece of trash game. It's called Dark Tide. Um, it's just a it's a it's a forty k derivative. Basically, plays like Left for Dead, but you're in the future in forty k. Uh, I guess yes. Demon Tide's kind of or not Demon Tide. Vermin Tide was the um the original Warhammer version of it. Um, mm -hmm. but like, there's something there's something compelling about the gear scaling. Uh, that yeah. process because it's iterative, right? The power creep is slow, but like you will then get like that piece of gear that suddenly you just want to build everything else around. Right. Yes. Um, do you want to go into some detail about your experiences with that, especially for near, because given my, I've never played near I've, I've watched it from afar with jealousy in my eyes, but I've never yeah. played it. So you can go nuts uh, about describing your experience with that game. Cause I'm interested. Mm, okay, so I, at first, I, because of starting with you, um, which really showcased the whole chi system. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit, it's just basically, um, it's source like stamina. But the fun thing is, you can recover the stamina while you're attacking if you do. And that's such a cool thing. And that's, that was the Then I played it myself, because Sengoku period plus a cool that's kind of sign me in. Mm -hmm. Let's go. And then I played it myself, discovered the Senko thing with having a British man in it. And then I discovered, discovered the gear. And for me, it started clicking, I think, once I saw the weapon mm -hmm. and how they each feel, um, have a different skill tree, have a different, different feel for it. So, like, you have dual katanas, you have lances, you have axes, uh, you have normal shorts, you have a kusarigama, so that's a that you can use defensively and long range. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. And then you have the normal ass moveset, 
with each unique weapon, and then you add uh, on top of that you can wear heavy, wear can wear medium armor, can mm -hmm. wear light armor. So like in normal source like games, that's one part of the gear yep. that you really really have to build around weight mechanics. That's something I didn't get at first. Breakpoints for the for the weight for me to understand at first, and then you can add on top of that a different layer with spirit guardians. So those are special beasts that you can summon in battle, special yep. uh, meter, and they each add a different stats, of course, but also special properties. You gain resistance to lightning damage. You do extra damage while you're very while you're wearing heavy armor and stuff. So they add another layer for gear building. Really cool stuff. Okay. And legendary gear and of course gear sets exist. So they gain special effects if you equip up to four um, four pieces of the set. So the more the better. But you can also wear just two pieces of it. That's that those are different layers that I enjoy. Gotcha. Okay. So there's there's a lot to break down there. Uh, number one, didn't know that there was uh, skill trees in the game, which is okay because now I do. So for everybody out there, if you're not familiar with skill tree, it's entirely possible. I uh, like it happens. Um, you see skill trees a lot more now in games because most games, for whatever reason, well, no, there's a good reason for it. The legacy of um, JRPGs and RPGs in all gaming now um, is hard to ignore, but the skill tree. I'm not going to pretend to know exactly where it originated from, but what it is, is it's basically just, uh, it has a starting point and then it branches down and each one of the branches has its own special perk, but the different branches you go down decide how you specialize your character. I guess um, with Nier, it's going to be a little harder to explain, but um, in, in a game like Diablo or in a game like um, World of Warcraft, if you wanted to specialize in a certain type of magic, you would go down one certain branch. And then even within that specialization, you could specialize further. So you could improve one specific spell, or you could be really good at a bunch of different spells, but none of them would be super strong. Another sort of version of this would be in, I think it's Final Fantasy X. They do the sphere grid, which is basically a skill tree, but it's a sphere. But it sounds to me like Nier is just your your regular skill tree, but with a lot of options. Is that correct? And is it your mm. gear that dictates the the skill tree, or is it just your character? Um, for Nier two, it's specifically your character. It looks like this, but it feels yeah. It's I think it's really good. So you have different areas for the weapons, mm -hmm. for your specific character based actions. I get a demon form that I can use that gives you different bonies for different specific locations and stuff, which is really cool. And you, you can use can level up each area specifically mm -hmm. in simple language. Okay, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have you hit any really difficult parts of it or parts that once you completed it, it felt really fulfilling? Oh, uh, yeah, tons of. Um, I was stuck on I think the third boss of Neo one a long, long time because mm -hmm. it's a source like I didn't beat the game for the I think only like two or three years ago I beat the game completely. Wow! Okay. Because it because <laughs> made me want to get first game completely, but mm -hmm. I was always fulfilled with the game either way because like I really enjoyed just trying to get in the flow of the game. But that means for me playing with the key system. 
with yeah. the two stuff. Yeah, uh, Nier 2, as I've said, is the game just infinitely more refined and better for <laughs> okay. me. Okay, good to know. I, like, I'm not going to suggest... I, I, I mean... I'm not going to pretend, right? Like I've got, I got a big backlog of games. I think it would be very, if I were to ever have the opportunity, I would 100% just go to near two. Um, mm-hmm. it, would you recommend that? Or do you think you're missing out if you don't play near one? No, I would personally recommend. I think it feels way more, way easy, uh, way, way more convenient uh, in a good sense. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and I feel like you get the hang of the flow of way earlier. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I know where I'd start. I know where I'd start. Hmm. Yeah, and that would have been within the last few years. I'm just what I'm just I'm I'm trying to think. For for this one in particular, it sounds like experimentation um is the most rewarding thing because of all the different builds you can do. Are you able to reset your skill points for your uh skill tree? Mhm. Oh, you is can, it easy uh, or is it difficult? It's easy, but it has a cost. Okay. So, so it costs in-game currency, no, no microtransactions or whatever. Just straight up. Yeah. Okay. But would you recommend it? Uh, how many different builds did you try? Um, I think whenever we... So, like, you can always take up a new web, just start up uh, right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I personally am playing with right, right from or a different build to be specific. Precise, because you can build uh, two weapons at this, which with them in combat. Okay. So that's always nice. But I, whenever I restart, I try out a new weapon, try out fears, try to build around um, more heavier armor or more lighter armor, um, using magic in game or using ninja ninja tools, whatever mood I am in or whatever I want to try out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for you too, you can also try out different demon forms too enhance the different um, aspects of your character, like magic, ninja tools, or whatever. Cool stuff. Okay. So I'm going to pull on my experience with Monster Hunter. How many different maps are there in this game? Is every single level completely different, or was there any overlap? There were a lot of uh, maps that were used, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I personally don't mind co- um, even if the review um, placement different um, or new ways to traverse the map, new ladder, ladders to go up, mm-hmm. or new new ways to go down at the level, and stuff like that were introduced. There's all, always the option of using it to gain an advantage in combat and take out specific enemies right away. Yep, that's always nice. So having a different, easier options to be precise, mm-hmm. and that's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I found. So just hear me out for a second. I, I realize it's a apples to oranges comparison, but in just because like I I'm familiar with the company that makes near. Right. So I played a lot of dynasty warrior games growing up mm-hmm. um, and then some samurai warrior games. Um, but also what, what that style of game does is it introduces maps to you and then it it will provide them in different format depending on which faction you're playing yes. on. But what Monster Hunter does is it'll have like two to three really, really good detailed maps. But then as you unlock more monsters, it forces you to engage with certain parts of the map you didn't even know were there. And it sounds like maybe 
Nier does kind of the two, like both things at once. So maybe it'll it'll show you different versions of the game depending on where you are in it, or it'll open up different parts of the map depending on, um, well, I guess just depending on what your your ability is because that's that was the limiting factor in um, Monster Hunter. But did you ever did you rely very heavily on like the mini map, or um, did you ever just get familiar enough with the maps you could just navigate without thinking too much about it? So the game usually gives you can then get some quest in the older area or whatever and revisit it. So okay. that's how you usually gain um new map version. That's gotcha. the way you, um this does it. Um to answer your question specifically, um so I usually just um relied on my build, but I was also able to just get um, explore the map of ex- without relying on the compass too much. I okay. use the compass so to um, find collectibles with special equipment because those are really hard to find for me. Gotcha. <sighs> nice. Well, no, it's just, it's so interesting, right? Because the more time that you spend with any game, uh, and I found, because my son started playing Fortnite, um, and when I watch him play and then I started playing with him because, of course, I'm a sucker. I wanted to be a part of the fun. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, you just you get used to there's something to be said about when you're in a map long enough, you just get used to it. Right. Or mm-hmm. so you play the same mission over again or you're playing like an optional mission where you go back in to get resources to grind or whatever. You eventually just get used to that spot. And it, it's like a, it, it's just a space you become familiar with. And it's something that like, it's an expertise that takes time to get there. But once you have it, it feels so good to just be able to navigate something without even having to use the map. Um, Yes. Yeah. Like it's, and it's, I I feel like it's something that people don't talk enough about, right? The expertise of navigating a place um, because it's a game, right? So most people like, it's not like it's real life, but there are, there are actually tactical advantages to being able to recognize where you are and what resources are around you, um, especially in some of these open world games. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's just, I don't know. I found that interesting. And as you've mentioned, in like once you gain the way easiness and then gain advantage via high ground and protect them that they don't know the locations, take a sniper and uh, shoot right away. Or, uh, and or Neo, you can gain access to high loot areas, special and stuff like that, or find special stuff to, that most people don't know find at first. So that's also always cool, rewarding stuff that the uh, first-time player don't experience right away. Yeah, although I have been, I've been educated in Fortnite by people who will build up to the top of the level, <laughs> like they'll build <laughs> up and then shoot down. Because how often do you look all the way up um, when you play any kind of shooter? Yeah, that's a that's okay. Uh, media deep pull. That's a that's a lesson from Avatar. James Cameron's Avatar. You should always be looking up. <laughs> yeah, I learned I learned it via media that no one looks always uh, right up, straight up their face. Yep, never ever. Okay, uh, here I'm just I'm trying to I'm working through my notes here. Let's see. Well here also i just gotta check time okay yeah so we are we're coming up on the hour i got a soft stop at three so i think what Mm -hmm. i'll do here 
I'll open things up. Is there anything else you wanted to to talk about? We've got about an, another 10 minutes. You're more than welcome to um, dive into anything you want to talk about for the last two games you've discussed, or we can move into something new. Just understand that by by my soft stop, I do have to I have to go by about so yeah. Also, if there's anything you want to ask me, if you want to open up <laughs> that avenue or that can of worms, you're also welcome to do it. It's whatever you prefer. So we are opening everything up. You can do whatever you want. You're free to go wherever you want right now. Do you have any specific Star Wars games you really remember? Okay, so. I was in college when Knights of the Old Republic came out. I would mm -hmm. have loved to play that game now, knowing what it was. But at the time, I was really focused on things that were not schoolwork and involved going out and drinking. Um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of Star Wars games, I have played the Old Republic, the MMO. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that, and it has some of Knights of the Old Republic cooked into it. Yeah. But it, it's it's not 100% the same. It, it had an interesting morality wheel. I really enjoyed being a Sith that constantly tried to do the right thing. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, like, it was really interesting playing that way. But. Other than that, I, I've got a real fondness for Podracer on the 64. <laughs> that game, it's kind of trash, but it's also, it, I don't know, you just, you go fast. That's Podracing, baby. Like, you just, you, Based. you, you just go fast. Um, and other than that, there's one more. I'm just, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Oh, gosh. Uh, okay. This is going to bear with me. Okay. The latest Lego Star Wars, mm, yeah, is really good. <laughs> it's it's surprisingly it's got everything in it. It's got everything in it, anything yes. you could want, and it's accessible in a way that sitting and watching a movie or sitting and watching nine movies, like your kid isn't interested in, but like your kid will absorb the story of Star Wars just playing this game and engaging with these ridiculous characters and all of the, this Lego stuff. Um, yep. Yeah. It's how my son learned all of the lore about Jurassic world and Jurassic park was through playing Lego. <laughs> and then, nice. then he falls in love with the property. So it's the same thing with star Wars. Like easy. Yeah. I couldn't get him to sit down and watch a star Wars movie, but I mm -hmm. put it in Lego format and suddenly he loves it. And then I'm watching him play it. And I'm like, Oh, this is a really funny take on the star Wars story. Um, mm -hmm. I also played, I think it was Jedi, uh, Academy where you could choose to be dark or light. Um, not, not the, not the fallen order or the survivor, but like it was the predecessor to that. But I played Jedi, Jedi outcast. Of, gotcha. So that's like, the I think that's a Jedi that then when, when you probably got maybe, <laughs> maybe, but uh, in like the for, beginning you had a blaster. Yeah. You had a blaster, and then you discover that you have... Okay, I, if, if it's the one that I'm thinking of, you can choose to dual blade, you can choose mm -hmm. to do, do the, the staff, or you could choose to do the single. Yes. Yeah, and um, our friends, for whatever reason, we just made it into a PvP game, so everybody would just play. Some people would be Boba yeah. Fett, some people would be Jedi, and I would always play like um, a single lightsaber Jedi, because I believe that was the superior way to be a, 
<laughs> to use a lightsaber. Yeah, I just I remember I, that's all I remember about that game is just the PvP because <laughs> I don't even think that's how you were supposed to play it, but that's how we all did. Just run around. Yeah, and each I other. also played had a lot of PvP elements too, which yeah. was really cool. And I think you could play as a lot. Of- <laughs> yeah, it's just so weird. Uh, did we're... you also play any of the Star Wars strategy? Okay, so um, I played. There was a there was a, a real time strategy. I played a mm-hmm. little bit of it. Um, I forget what it was called. It was Galaxy something. I, Star- I played Star Wars Empire at War. Oh, Empire at War. I mm-hmm. think that is... And then didn't the expansion bring in Scum and Villainy for that one or no? I think so. They, played, they brought in Bounty Hunters, I think. Yes. Okay. Um, I played a little bit of that, but not as much as it deserved. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was always too busy. Um, I was, I think in that time I was too busy playing either Supreme Commander or mm. a version of Total Annihilation. I think I played Empire Earth of those games the most I really like. Empire Earth was also really fun. Um, yes. Okay. Was Empire Earth the one where you could, no, that was, I think that was Rise of Nations. The one where as you were playing, you could increase your technology level and then your horses would turn into tanks. Um, I think that's the one I played. Okay, so like but it was absurd. Empire, yeah. Yes, it was really absurd. Because, uh, in Empire of, you could play as an Asian that went into the future, and you could start from Stone Age to the future, and then you could go from rock uh, flinging cyborgs and what. Yeah, it's so absurd. What a what a goofy game. Yeah, I that is exactly mm-hmm. that game. Oh yeah, and just like upgrading as you're marching, and then it's like, oh, that's not a threat, and then it like turns into <laughs> tanks, and you're like, oh, okay, no, it's a big threat. Oh wow, yep, yeah, weird that that wasn't a more popular game. Oh gosh, that would break. I a... really liked it as a kid. Yeah. I really liked it. Um, yeah, wow. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to anything else you would like to discuss or talk about? Not at the moment, but maybe we could uh, have enough talk about stuff. I yeah, actually, I'd be very comfortable. Uh, I'd be very comfortable doing that. I've really enjoyed this one. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could yeah, just think of another. Actually, you know what? I'd really like to talk about uh, some of your experiences, either with Super Robot Wars or or just some of your favorite JRPGs. Um, yes, that sounds fun. Maybe because it's an excuse for me to do it too. <laughs> that's absolutely valid yeah all right well revan i just i want to thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it yeah uh, just thanks so much for sharing got a lot of really interesting stories and i appreciate i appreciate the german perspective i didn't know or realize that gaming was censored as heavily there it was kind of surprising um so like to be clear for like for the nazi angle right Mm mm-hmm Okay, yeah. That's cool. It's just, it's interesting. Like, anyway. Germany is very touch up on that subject. Sure. Surprisingly. Weird. Yeah, but I, I can get it. I, I wonder it. why. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, maybe that's another topic we could talk about. Yeah, because I mean, um, I, I, def- maybe I can do a little bit of research on it. I just, I would love to mm-hmm. understand um, what the motivation is. Like, are they worried and they want to protect people so they want to avoid exposing them to it? Because I feel like, wouldn't it, wouldn't the opposite work better if you're faced with, 
it everywhere, it creates a mm. fatigue and you don't want to do it? I think it's definitely an, a big part of wanting to protect people. Okay. But sure. it's also a different part that a lot of, lot of other people here too. Okay. So in theory, it could be like a trigger as well, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely one big aspect of it. Okay. And just that they're relative. Yeah. See, those imageries, especially for Wolfenstein, like they are somewhat uh, direct with. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I could. Okay. There. Yeah. Just a little. <laughs> just had to ponder it a little bit. That. Yeah. That makes sense. Thanks. But oh. I can also do some research on the topic. Yeah. I'm not entirely not knowledgeable about this. It's okay. <laughs> Even just what we did, the headcanon stuff is pretty good. Uh, those are mm-hmm. very good reasons to not do a thing. But, uh, okay. Hey, again, I just I want to thank you so much for your time. I do have to uh, start breaking down and, and shutting things down on my end. So I mm-hmm. want to thank you. And is there anything else you want to say? Any parting words? Any Anywhere? Or any kind of self-promotion? I don't have any socials to share. Okay. Per se, uh, I just use Twitter a lot and Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I thank you so much for having me, Chase. It was a re- lots of odd memories I could explore, mm-hmm. uh, lots of stuff I could share about the games I enjoy, and me, really cool stuff. Yeah, thank you again so much. I really enjoyed it. Uh, that was that was a fun fun exploration. So thank you, and talk again soon. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening today and for continuing to support the podcast. If you like what we're doing, please just let us know at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, though lately, I'll be honest, those accounts haven't seen much action. In Instagram, I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, Hopefully that will change as more interviews come in and more episodes go out. That said, do you like our theme song? One of my favorite chiptune composers, uh, Dimitri, he made it specifically for us. If you want to hear more from him, go find him on Twitter. His name's Dizzyman. Uh, he also does commissions on Fiverr. If you ever, you know, want a chiptune song for yourself. Do you like podcast art? Do you like our podcast art? <laughs> well, if you haven't seen it, it's on our social media. So go take a look. Uh, if you like any of it, it's all done by the talented Joe Gottlieb who can be found at Joe Gottlieb Illustrations. Check him out. He's on Facebook and he has his own website. Just uh, just go take a look. For us here at Learn From Gaming, video games aren't just a hobby. They're also something that helped shape our pasts and impacted our lives. I hope you feel the same. Thanks again and keep an eye out for more episodes. Hopefully, there'll be more out soon. Bye.